just want to thank you for each testimony that was given tonight. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for things that we can share with others that you are doing in our lives. Answers to prayers, things that we prayed about for years. Lord, just strength to continue day by day. Lord, your healing and your strength. And Lord, we're thankful that uh, you've given us doctors and all the medical care that we have today, but we're much more thankful that we don't have to rely only on the doctors and the medicine, that we can trust the Creator who cares for us in each and every situation. Lord, we thank you for your provision and your direction. We thank you for what you're doing over at Union. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, still doing here at Open Door. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz? When we want to study something through the Bible, the first time the word Amen is mentioned is in Numbers chapter 5. And Numbers chapter 5 uh, certainly goes down as one of the most unusual chapters in all of the Bible. It's, it's one that is uh, mostly misunderstood by people, and so therefore it's a great place to uh, begin to explain some things. But if you have the little uh, notes in your Bible, the top of the page, it'll probably say something like this, the trial of jealousy. Now, what Numbers 5 was, was a special ceremony, and it happened at the um, uh, ark, I mean the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And uh, what this was, was this was a way to confirm or deny an a unprovable charge. And so we'll just read the first few verses here to get the idea and then... Uh, we'll find out that Amen had had a part in this. It says, uh, verse 11, Numbers 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If a man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept clothed, and she be de- close, And she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. So, uh, you get uh, the gist here is, uh, there has been times where... uh, A husband will begin to doubt the purity of his wife and he'll begin to wonder about this. And this is what this ritual was about. Um, Maybe he was mistaken. Maybe he wasn't. And so they would take, they would come, husband and wife, to the door of the tabernacle and they would bring an offering of jealousy and the priest would take uh, holy water that is not the same as what's in the Catholic Church. It's, it's water that is set aside for use in the temple. And he would sprinkle dust from the floor of the tabernacle into the water. They would offer the sacrifice, and then he would, the priest, would pronounce uh, the curse. And uh, here's 
what it says, and uh, let's uh, read through here. And we get down to verse 22. And after the curse is pronounced, it says, And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. She was to use that word, and it's kind of unusual. This is the first place it was used in the Bible. It was to confirm the judgment of God against sin in a person's life. And yet, the only reason that a woman would take this oath, would would make this statement, is if she was pure. And the Bible said that if she was pure, then the water that causes the curse or the bitter water would not do her any harm. But she would conceive seed and have a child and and, uh, her marriage would be intact and her husband could not uh, put her away all of his days. There would be no uh, opportunity. And the uh, idea also was that if there was hidden sin, that it would be brought uh, to a, a public situation and be dealt with accordingly. So the the word amen is a strong word. Uh, you don't say, hey, I love pizza. Amen to that. Let's vote. No, that's, that's, it's not a light word. This, this, uh, if you want to read all the, the details here, it's, it's pretty, uh, rough stuff. And, and uh, it would cause a loathsome disease and this woman would be an outcast from society and eventually die if she was, had committed sin. And if she hadn't, she would be protected and her reputation would be protected as well. And so we see that that word goes both ways. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and we'll see that the word is used very much in a similar position here. When the children of Israel were to go into the land of Canaan, they were to divide the congregation of Israel upon two mountains. One was the Mount of Blessing, Mount Gerizim. The other was the Mount of Cursing, Mount Ebal. And they were supposed to pronounce the laws of God. And the answer to each one of these uh, laws that God had said was the word, Amen. And um, and it, just look at verse 14. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven image or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall say, shall answer and say, Amen. And it goes on to list All of those cursings, we get down to verse 26. It says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, uh, we we want to understand that the word Amen simply means, Let it be so. Of a surety. It's like saying, I guarantee it, or I'm, I'm putting my name to this. Now, let's just have a, a little 
application of this thought that is in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy here. What happens in society when there is no punishment for sin? Oh, we have America today, don't we? Uh, Is this a better place or a worse place? Since people started getting away with, since O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, uh, Really, that's that's an event that marks uh, a very dark day in what we call America and jurisprudence. That uh, trial by jury and all of this, it, it really changed with that single event as people began to look at lawyers not as someone who did what's right or what's wrong, but as someone who is to get you off for something that you have done. And uh, that never was the intended purpose of lawyers and law in the United States. The thing that made this country so different in other countries was it was supposed to be the difference between right and wrong. And you know, we, we need to have a judgment for wrong. Otherwise, it blurs the line between right and wrong. Wrong becomes right, right becomes wrong. And that's what we see happening in our society today. That's why God's law is so important. That's why you, you, you hear me constantly. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Our faith is objective. There is a difference between right and wrong. And we still need to proclaim that today. And you know what? Every one of us is going to find ourselves on the wrong side of God's law from time to time. That's what sin is called. That's not pleasant when the Holy Spirit finally gets you to slow down enough to think about what you did and to convict you. And you say, I need a change in behavior. Here's what the Bible offers us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can we say amen to that? You see... One of our great problems today is the fact that people do not want to make a difference between right and wrong. And that little word, amen, is established in our Bible. Its first use is dealing with the difference between right and wrong. The, question, the problem is, if you're never willing to admit that you've done something wrong... How can you make the situation right? You know, judges will go a long way. Still even today, if the defendant will show some sign of remorse and uh, and admit to wrongdoing and, and say, hey, this was a mistake... Uh, that's one of the reasons why our politicians uh, are, are getting such long prison sentences. And some, I just read an article someone wrote about uh, several of the New York uh, City, New York State politicians. It says even in prison, they refuse to admit that they did anything wrong. 
even though some of them have been there as many as 14 years for criminal misconduct of office, if you were to talk to them and they had several, I don't remember the names, it had them quoted as saying, I never did anything wrong. Then why are you in jail for such a long period of time? You don't get sent to jail that long when you commit felonies. I mean, violent crimes. You don't get sent to jail for 14 years anymore. And yet, listen, if we're going to have anything good happen in our lives, in our service for Christ, in our country, in our city, we've got to recognize the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And we have to understand that sin deserves judgment. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, not so we could get away with it. But so that God could still be just and forgive us. Can we say amen to that? And so we, we need to, to be careful. And uh, let's just go to the book of Nehemiah for, for a moment. And in the book of Nehemiah, you'll have to remember here that this was after the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, after the rebuilding of the temple. And Nehemiah's job was rebuilding the wall and, and finally putting uh, the city of Jerusalem back on the map and back on track again as a city and as the capital of the Jewish people. The, the temple had been rebuilt about a hundred years or so before Nehemiah. And, and uh, in chapter 5, we find that there was a great problem. It says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Now, isn't that interesting? Who was crying? The Jews. Who were they crying against? Their brethren, the Jews. Uh, and this is just a little note here. This is where we get this differentiation that's used all through the Gospels. The Jews, the Jews. It's talking about the religious and physical uh, social leaders of the Jewish people. These were the high priests. These were the, the uh, governors and the mayors, the people that were in charge, the elders among the people. And so they were classified simply as capital J-E-W-S. It, it was kind of like, this is the ruling class. They're, they're a little different than the rest. And here's what they had done. is They had to pay tribute to the king of Persia. They had to pay their taxes. They had to pay the temple taxes. They had to pay their local taxes, and they didn't have enough money, and so they borrowed money. Well, when you borrow money, what normally do people charge you? Interest. Interest is one of the great evils of the world in which we live. Interest brings about more slavery than any other item in human society. Because you owe a thousand dollars and we put that to interest and in a few years, as we found out at Union, it was ten thousand dollars. That had to be paid. 
Now, where is all that money supposed to come from? Well, I praise the Lord that he took care of it. And most of that money was actually in the union accounts. Uh, And so they paid a great portion of that uh, with money that they had before uh, I became, Brother Mike and I became the pastors of the church. we were able to do that. I'm, I'm glad to tell you that very little of the money that we raised in our church has given went to pay the interest on that unpaid loan. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's a terrible thing. And the children of Israel were oppressing their families. In fact, some of their, their daughters had been sold uh, into servitude. And they couldn't get anything back. And we get here to verse 13. It says, and this is Nehemiah. And he said, also I shook my lap and said, so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise, even to be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. Now here's what Nehemiah did. He said, you're going to forgive all of those debts. You're going to take away the interest. You're not supposed to be doing that to your brothers and sisters. And someone asked me, is it wrong for me to to charge uh, interest if I loan money to another Christian? And that's not what this was talking about. This is This is oppression of the people. But if you want to do the best, stay away from interest. It's, it's not a good business to get into. It's just something that's not... It, it, somebody has to pay that money somewhere. If you want a course on economics, if you want to know where the government makes money invisible without any backing... Walk up and down the street, look at the values, quote-unquote, of all these properties. What makes this property worth two and a half million dollars? Eighty-three feet wide, a hundred feet deep. I mean, or the Union Baptist Church is worth over four million dollars, we believe, on paper. But you couldn't sell it for that. And nobody has, well, very few people have, that kind of money that they would come up and pay cash. So what do they do? They put $100,000 down, then they pay interest. And all of a sudden, then the property value goes up. And so then I borrow more money based on this invisible value of this invisible property. And that's how we devalue our economy and our dollar to make it worth very less. And just, uh, I don't know why we're doing this, probably because I'm tired, but uh, Brother Hardy gave this last illustration. We'll, We'll put this rabbit in the hole for good. He bought a car in 1963 or 67, I believe, for about $1,700. Brand new Chevy Impala. Beautiful car. If you had that car today, it'd be worth a fortune. But he did the math and he said, if I had Federal Reserve rolls of dimes, 
$1,763 in Federal Reserve dime rolls. He said, I could walk into any dealership in the United States and buy just about any car I wanted to buy of the same value. Because those dimes would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five dollars to $30,000 as a collector's item. That tells you what that money was worth back then. That you could buy $30,000 worth of car today with $1,700 worth of dimes from back then. That's what was happening in Israel. And that's why Nehemiah said, listen... I pronounce a curse and judgment against you. If you don't follow through and relieve your brethren of this debt, I'm going to pray that God shakes you out and empties you. And you know what? The people said, Amen, because that meant relief for them. That meant that their children wouldn't have to be sold into servitude and that they would be able to move forward. This wasn't just running up debt and then not paying it. These were things that were required by the governments and by the, the leadership there just to survive. And the word amen was used. And there was rejoicing. Because when things are done right, that gives freedom to everybody, doesn't it? And so... This word, amen, is a very serious word. Why don't you just turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, and I'll try to be careful. I could preach this sermon for five hours if I wanted to, but I don't. But Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, And Ezra blessed the people, I'm sorry, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know what Ezra had done? Ezra had organized the Levites throughout the crowd, out the congregation of Israel. There were thousands of people there, and he read the law. And as he read a portion of it, uh, different little groups that were all there, they would make plain so that everybody understood what was being read. You know, we do that here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Thursday night, even on family fun nights. We take time to get into the Word of God. We want to make the Word of God understandable. Because if you understand what the Bible says and you do it, who benefits the most? You do. Amen? Let's try that again. If you actually understand the Word of God and do it, you are the one that benefits the most. Can we say amen to that? Amen. You see, it doesn't hurt to say amen. It's a good practice. Not only does it confirm the difference between right and wrong, not only does it say, I want to do right so that I can ensure the most freedom in my life and those around me, it's also a great answer to the reading of the Word of God. You'll see the word Amen all the way through your Bible, especially in certain places where uh, a great statement is made and, and, and it'll just stop and say, Amen. 
Stop and think about this a minute. Say amen. Bring praise and glory to the Lord. That's, that's where the word amen comes from. It's at the reading of the law. Here they were desiring to be obedient. And, and they were told to go their way later. And it says the joy of the Lord is your strength in this very same chapter. And we can say amen to that, can we not? Because we want to have God's work in our life. Uh, let's just check a few here in the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 72. And uh, just limber, limber up your fingers and loosen up the pages here. And uh, hopefully you'll get there quicker than I will. Psalm 72 and verse 19. It says... And blessed be His glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Let's try this. Let's read it together now. Amen and amen. This is David as he is ending his prayers, his final word of praise. And he ends that with a double amen. Psalm 89. And let's go to verse 52. Psalm 89. When we praise the Lord, when we say something good about God, amen is the biblical response. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Here we go. Amen and amen. You see, that's why I like when someone does a special like our ladies did this morning. That was just a blessing, was it not? There's your response. You weren't even here. And, uh, but instead of, thank you, you did a great job, how about, amen? That's a good biblical response. Because it takes the glory and the praise from the person and puts it where it ought to be, toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word amen is important. If we go through the, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, the beasts that are around the throne, they say amen. The tribulation saints say amen. And the elders in Revelation chapter 19. Let me tell you something. If you want to get ready for heaven, get used to using the word amen. amen. You see, it's getting better. And what this does, when we have visitors and people come, it tells them that you're paying attention to what's going on. It tells them that you're in agreement with what's going on. You know, sometimes your preacher says some pretty hard things from the pulpit. Aren't very popular in our world today. We have people in here that are from the world, and they're unsaved, and they, how in the world did anybody believe that craziness? Well, if we get 90, 80, 90 people saying amen to the crazy things the preacher says, they're all crazy. Well, that's okay. Because we're the right kind of crazy, amen? We're the Bible kind of crazy. 
God hasn't changed His words. By the way, let's go to the book of Hebrews, last chapter. Two verses here toward the end of this book. And let's just start reading verse 20. Actually, we'll read. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, You see, aren't those verses encouraging? They tell you what God wants to do in our life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen is meant to be an encouragement as well. It's it's to say, listen, not only do I want God to bless you, I, I want Him to bless you superbly and above all. I want it to be more than just Yes, I want it to be amen. And that's where it comes in. And, and we get down to verse 25 and he, and the writer here says, grace be with you all. Amen. It's an encouragement. It's a benediction. Now that's a big word that people don't use much anymore, but it's an ending. You know, uh, how many of you listen to bluegrass, the banjo music? Uh, some of my kids do. Uh, you know, nothing wrong with the good hillbilly song, but you know what problem the problem is with some of those music? They don't know how to end it. <laughs> they just sit there and go ding and ding and ding and ding and ding on that banjo, and all of a sudden, oh, let's do another course, and they go over it again, and they they can't figure out how to end it. It's just a problem with uh, with that kind of music. Well, I'll tell you how to end godly music, how to end something godly. We just say, Amen. You know what? That puts an end to it. That, that's a very appropriate ending. How many times have you just felt blessed and you were just almost awkward about saying something? Well, just say, Amen. How can you be awkward saying that? What a blessing. Amen. You don't have to say, thank you, I did a rather good job, didn't I? I mean, come on. That's for the world. That isn't for us. When someone gives you a compliment, you can just simply say, amen. Praise the Lord. You want that praise flowing toward Him, not toward you. It'll get you in trouble if it flows toward you. Don't believe your own press reports. You have to remember, you wrote them in the first place. Amen? What we want to do is we want to please the Lord. We want to praise the Lord. The word amen is a great way to end things. It's a benediction. It's an encouragement. And you know what it does for a preacher? It says, I'm listening to the sermon even though I look like I'm sleeping. You know, 
Can I just be very... Preachers need encouragement too. And, And it helps the preacher preach when you say, Amen. It just does. And it's also a form of agreement. That's why often... Uh, I probably use that form of amen more than any other thing. I'll say, amen, what I'm saying is, do you agree with me or not? And if you don't, we got trouble. And if you do, say amen. And we move forward. Amen? Oh, that's the best one we got all night so far. Because everybody wants to go home. No. Listen. We have to understand one last thing. Revelation chapter 3. And we'll be done. Verse 14, Jesus is speaking to His church. The church at Laodicea. And it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. That's a title of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because He is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That doesn't mean He was the first thing created. That means that He was the source of creation. Jesus is the eternal security. He is the eternal yes. And that's what this means. And we need to use this word carefully, but we need to use it more than we do. I want to encourage you, not just to encourage your pastor, but he needs it. Not just to say that you're in agreement But people who visit our church need to hear that. But understanding that what we are doing is based on the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want Him to have the ultimate glory and praise out of everything done and said in this church. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this one little word, Amen. And Lord, how many different uses it has. And Lord, we just ask that You would help us to be faithful and biblical in our use for Amen. Let us understand the whole history of the word that is a word that was meant to confirm the curse for sin. Yet it's a a word that is used to say, I'm in agreement with praise to God. It's a word that points to the very character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His involvement in every moment of our everyday lives. Lord, we ask that You would make us faithful and servants of the Amen and that we would be careful to use it as often as we have biblical purpose in doing so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.